Some very interesting stuff is coming out of China. So interesting and so important that it is making the entire world get up and take notice. So we can spend hours talking about China and again and again and again. But, but in my effort to break it down into simple ideas and simple points and simpler analysis because that is the essence of cut the clutter. Let me follow the rule of three, three and three. So first of all, the three bits of news that have come out of China or three bits of trends that have come out of China. Number one, the Chinese just announced officially, officially for the first time that their population has declined, which means this is the first time in about 60 years that their population has declined. 60 years, you might say, why 60 years? Why not 70 years, 80 years? That is because 60 years back, the Chinese had their great leap forward and that's when Mao Zedong, God knows, plowed how many people into the ground because that was a disastrous experiment between 1958 and 1962. Maybe 3 crores, maybe 4 crores. Yet, even in that period, China was the most populous nation in the world. So, next year it seems, next year it seems for the first time since 1950. And 1950 is important because that is the year that the UN started recording, keeping a record of populations nation-wise, country-wise. Since 1950, next year will be the first time that China's will cease to be the most populous nation in the world. That, that distinction, a dubious one, if at all, will come to India. India will become the most populous nation in the world next year, not China. Although, mind you, again for clarity, I must state that India's population growth rate has also declined. It's declined heavily and it's declining further steeply. And a declining, declining birth rate is not, is not always a good thing. It can be a good thing for some time, particularly if your birth rates were too high. But if it declines for too long, if it goes only in one direction, then you begin to have challenges as the Chinese are having now. So we'll also explain to you what are the problems that the Chinese are anticipating and the global economy is anticipating from China's birth rate decline and China's population decline. Because remember, a declining population is also an aging population. Because a declining population means fewer babies are born than people who are dying. That is the reason your population is declining. And as fewer babies are born, you have fewer young people. So you have a lot of old people. Your life expectancy is going up. You are not replacing your population. That is why, that is why it is said that two, two babies per woman in her reproductive years is the replacement level of population, which means one set of parents produce two children. So when the parents are not there, two children will replace them fully. Now, not everybody survives. Not every child survives a full life. That is why you keep this level at a little bit higher. So we say 2.1% is about replacement level in a population. India at this point is about 2.1%. Now once again, you might ask me if India is only 2-2.1%, why is India's population not declining? That's because it takes time. It doesn't happen today because last year there were more babies born. Year before there were no more babies born. So there is a, there is a lag effect. China's population came to a near replacement rate or below replacement rate, say in 1991. So it's taken 30 years for the Chinese to get to a stage when their population net net is declining, when they are 
producing fewer babies than are being born. In fact, if you want to look at the exact data, I can give you data from the Chinese official sources who made the announcement just yesterday. Yesterday means Tuesday this week and they said in 2022 in China 9.56 million that is 95 lakh 60,000 new babies were born at the same time 10.41 million which means 1 crore 41 lakh people died. So 1 crore 41 lakh died. 95 lakh 60,000 were born, 9.56 million, 95 lakh 60,000 were born, which means net net there was a decrease of 8 lakh 50,000 people. That's almost a million less Chinese this year and next year this will go up and will go up and will go up and keep on moving in that direction. That is the one story. The second story or trend that came out of China is that the Chinese economic growth rate has declined. It's declined to 3%, which is about the same as the global average right now. It's the first time in almost 50 years that Chinese growth rate has been about the same as the global growth rate, worldwide growth rate, which means China is not ahead of the worldwide growth rate. Since about mid-70s, the Chinese have always been ahead of the worldwide total growth rate. In fact, at various points of time, they've been several times the global growth rate. Now, they are at the same level as the global growth rate. So 3%, 3% is the Chinese equivalent of the Hindu rate of growth, as we used to call it and we used to feel embarrassed about it. Not about being Hindus, that was just a metaphor used by somebody. It had nothing to do with religion. But this was, the, this was, that, this was that socialist growth rate that India had. The Chinese also had it until Deng Xiaoping came and reformed their economy. Now the Chinese are back at that level. And remember, this is Chinese data. These are Chinese figures. So nobody quite believes the Chinese figures. In fact, even if you read Paul Krugman, the Nobel laureate economist who writes a column in the New York Times, and I will share a copy of his column with you with the description of this cut the clutter. He says, he talks about population as well. That look, this year China's population has declined for the first time, but possibly it's been declining for quite, quite a few years. It's just that the Chinese haven't told us. So Chinese data, in fact, he says, when the Chinese say we grew by 7.3%, people tended to say not, people tended to not accept that the Chinese grew by 7.3%. They would say the Chinese are saying that they grew by 7.3%. Similarly, on the economy also, it's quite likely that Chinese growth rate is not even 3%. It is lower than that. That's very bad for China. It's also, it also has implications for the world. We'll come to that. So 3% of this also, if you look at the last quarter of the year, Chinese economy has had a negative growth in the last quarter. Now you might say that's because that is when Xi Jinping's zero COVID policy was in full flow. He had shut down the country, etc., etc. But also remember, that is the period when he got re-elected for an unprecedented third term. So on the back of a bad fourth quarter, a negative fourth quarter, let's see where the Chinese go next. So the Chinese targets, Chinese now say that they will have built the ideal socialist state with growth, etc., etc. For that, their target is a minimum sustained growth at 5%. So I will share with you an article that Ruchir Sharma has written in the Financial Times, where he says 5% growth for China is now an impossibility. At best, at best, the Chinese will do 2.5%. And when you read all the rest that's coming out on China, that will explain to you that a growth rate as low as that for the Chinese 
who are not a very rich country, they are richer than India, but they are still about at a level which is about half, at about $12,000 per capita GDP, they are at a level which is about a half of a modestly successful developed economy. So for them to get to the same level as a modestly developed global economy, they have to double their per capita income. That's not going to happen in a hurry. And in fact, this challenge will get tougher as their working age population goes down in the coming years because they're just producing too few babies. And the third thing is, the third thing is what is happening to Chinese politics maybe as a consequence of this because nothing happens without any of these interconnections. Now one more thing that's happened in China is that everybody thought, everybody thought that Xi Jinping now coming for the third time, he'll now be a real trouble for everybody and he will double up on all the policies he has followed. But he has actually made about turns as he's done on COVID. We just noticed from zero COVID, he's now gone into COVID denialism. There is no COVID. Do what you want. So he's now become like Sweden used to be to begin with that, you know, let everybody get infected. That's only one. But again, if you read Ruchir's article, he points out because he says this is not the Xi Jinping that, that we had expected to see after he got his third term. He has now calmed down on his assault on the Chinese big tech companies. He's also He's also relaxed on the borrowing limits, etc., for his builders and developers. And at the same time, he seemed to be a little bit more calm, at least with those countries with whom he has maritime boundary claims, that is in South China Sea. I don't think we have seen any of that calm on our borders yet in India, but he's certainly calmed down in those areas. So it is possible that as Xi Jinping now sees economic troubles, as he sees as he sees this demographic writing on the wall, the demographic dividend that the Chinese have enjoyed for almost 40 years now, that is now beginning to end. That's beginning to wind down. China is becoming a much older population, much too fast. And all his efforts, all his incentives to get the Chinese to produce more babies have failed. And the whole world seems to have got together against him. He's now calming down. And that's where you also see that even on Russian invasion of Ukraine, his support is not vocal. If anything, he seems to be very quietly distancing himself. He'll say nothing rude about Russia, but he's quietly distancing himself. So if you see all of that, these are the three trends. Population decline, growth rate decline, and Xi Jinping's complete about turn from the kind of politics and the kind of image and politics that he had built. These are the three big trends out of China. Which brings us to the next three points. What is it that brings down a country of the might and size of China, which damages so greatly a country of the might and size of China that the whole world has to take notice and the whole world feels affected. That is, that is when dictators take decisions believing that they know best. When they don't have anybody around them telling them, look boss, this is not going to work. Because if you said anything like that, you might end up in a labor camp or someplace or maybe six feet under, right? That's when dictators make their big mistakes. So see what are the big mistakes the Chinese have made over time, say in the past 60 years. So first was the Great Leap Forward. The Great Leap Forward, Mao Zedong, he said many things, but among the most famous or infamous things he did, he killed a lot of people in that process, a lot of people died, but he also declared a war and we once 
talked about this in some detail in an episode of Kartak Letter. He also said that there are four enemies or four pests. And what are these? Rats, flies, mosquitoes, sparrows. And he said, kill all of them. Right? And that's when the Chinese killed all their sparrows. They killed all their sparrows. So they were, there was nobody left to eat up the insects and locusts, locusts TD. Multiplied massively, the Chinese suffered gravely. And then they realized that they had messed up and then they tried to do desperate things including importing sparrows from Soviet Union which was an ally. In fact, so bad was the situation then that say in Beijing, many of these sparrows, I don't know how, how birds figured this out, they in a way sought asylum in foreign embassies. They landed up in foreign embassy compounds somehow because word spread among them that there they will be safe. And there were a lot of them in the Polish embassy. And there was also stories that you can read whereby mobs gathered around these embassies with drums, basically asking, asking them to turn over the sparrows. So dictators take these idiotic decisions which bring enormous, enormous damage on their populations, on their people. Second such policy was the population policy. In 1980, and this is a lesson to those in India who want a population law, ek bacha, do bacha and all that, don't mess with families. Don't mess with people's personal lives like this, not by using the law like this. You cannot use state power to compel people on how they run their families. So the Chinese in 1980 declared the one child, child policy. In about two decades, or maybe three decades, they had realized that they had messed up. Their population began to get older. And what happened? Because economic growth came after Deng Xiaoping, and economic growth came, people began to get a bit more prosperous. They began to move to urban areas. In any case, they were less inclined to produce more babies, and they were less inclined to produce babies too early in their lives. So they were producing fewer babies, and later in their lives and in any case the law limited a couple to produce only one baby that had many consequences one it produced multiple generations of brats that's about three generations of brats one set of parents no brother no sister no cousins no uncle no aunt no nephew no niece right very small very small and very isolated families and second second given the premium on the male child it led to the highest abortion rate in the world for China. The Chinese, if you check out a 2020 UNFPA report, that report is titled Against My Will, defining the practices that harm women and girls and undermine equality. That report tells you that at this point, at that point, the Chinese had three crore more men than women. So the ratio of men to women at birth was 112 100. That was only possible, only likely because of selective abortions, stuff that we've been trying to fight in India, stuff, stuff that states like Haryana, etc. have struggled with, Haryana, Punjab for quite some time and that's why all these restrictions and bans on ultrasounds, etc. have come in. In 2000, between 2002 and 8, this ratio actually was 118 to 100. Why? Because people were entitled to have only one child and they wanted a male child. So that created this distortion. 2016, the Chinese said, no, 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 galti hoi, galti hoi, galti hoi. Now you can have two babies. For one year after that, there was a little bump. A few more people produced a second child. But after that, that stopped. Then the Chinese got even more desperate. Xi Jinping in 2021 said, okay, baby, have three babies, right? Three babies. 
but nobody was willing to have three babies. If anything, people were having fewer babies because their society had become more prosperous. People were getting married later. People were producing fewer children, if any children at all. And by this time, government was also giving incentives for more babies, but even that wasn't working. Why? Because you thought you were the smartest in the world and you had more power than any, anybody in the history of humankind or at least modern humankind because you are a party-owned state, you own the parties, so you own the life of every individual living in your state. So you said, only one baby. Then you, then you figured that you had messed up and said, all right, two babies. But people, you can, you can force people not to have babies. You can order people by law not to have more than one child. If they have more than one child, you can lock them up in jail. You can steal the second child, etc., etc. But you cannot force them to have more babies because that is where even dictatorial power fails. And that's where the Chinese have got themselves into this mess where they now, they now know that decade after decade after decade, I'm not going into all the data, I'm sharing some articles with you, please check, check those out, including a long article from Pew Research, and that's an article by Laura Silver and Christine Huang, that tells you the consequences of this, and that tells you how China's dependency ratios will now rise. Dependency ratio means the number of people who, who depend on those number of people, say roughly number of, pe number of people above the age of 65 who don't earn for themselves, most of them don't, I know that many do, who don't earn for themselves and who then depend on younger people to pay for them and to pay for their pensions, welfare, etc. So Paul Krugman, the Nobel laureate in his article in the New York Times, which was published this morning, as I told you, I'm sharing a link with you, he says, he says the Chinese now will have to take, make some hard choices. Either they will have to allow their old people to really suffer in the absence of welfare or they will have to tax their young people really steeply. This has happened too fast and too rudely for China. Once again, this is a warning for all those in India who talk about a population law with great enthusiasm. Don't mess with the family business because if you do, your next generations will pay for it. So the Chinese, on the other hand, lift out their demographic dividend. The last 40 years, they've lived it. For India, India now that time is coming. In India, dependency ratio will only begin to rise, say around 2035. So we still have about 10, 12 years left. So we better be sane until that period. And the third irrational policy that the dictatorial government followed, that was zero COVID. Now suddenly, Xi Jinping woke up and said, there will be no COVID because first of all, the Chinese said there was no COVID. Then they somehow persuaded the WHO to say this virus was not transmissible from human being to human being. Then they fought with the world to say, don't call it Chinese virus, Wuhan virus, etc. Then they said, look, we've recovered. The whole world is suffering. It's true. They recovered at that point. The whole world suffered. Now the virus grew there because they also, out of their own dictatorial fixations, did not allow any foreign vaccines to come in, including, including the Oxford University AstraZeneca, where profits and patents had been waived. That's the vaccine most of us got in India. That is the Serum Institute Covishield vaccine. But the Chinese said they'll make their own vaccine, which obviously wasn't so good and which a lot of people didn't trust. And then, then they said, all right, if COVID comes in, we'll just lock down the whole country. So we will lock, we'll starve the virus. The virus is much smarter than that. 
virus did not get starved out it kept on growing and then in panic in panic xi jinping said all right everything is over all restrictions are limited mix around then they said again that's how dictators work again they said oh in the month of december we only had 22 deaths from covid now suddenly they've said 60000 but if you see global think tanks media etc etc nobody believes nobody believes that number of 60000 the experts people who know well people who track china they believe the actual deaths are five times if not 10 times more than that and estimated deaths by the summer of this year which is by july is about 1.5 to 2 million people so once again it's a zero covid policy that in a way stalled their economy and affected global economies as well yet at the same time brought upon them this massive wave of covid infections where it is now believed that out of the 2.2 crore population of beijing almost 90 plus percent have already got infected or will soon get infected now in the very beginning of this episode we had said that we'll follow the rule of 3 3 and 3 so i told you the three bits of trends and news big ones coming out of china i've told you the three examples of the awful stupid things that dictators do all from china now the three consequences of this for the world and for india so first of all the rest of the world when china slows down like this the rest of the world has to take take a deep breath and worry right there is no shadow freud in this because chinese economy chinese economic growth has been driving global economies as well now all of us note with great concern the fact that in the last year we had a 100 billion dollar trade deficit with china all right we import a lot more from china than we export anyway but it's also because china's imports have gone down and china's imports haven't gone down because they don't don't want to buy anything from india or any other country they've gone down simply because their economy has slowed down so the slowing down of the chinese economy has consequences for the entire world so that is the one thing the second consequence of what's happened in china everybody now has to watch xi jinping now if xi jinping has had to made make these about turns you can see that he is he is under stress he is under stress if his economy doesn't grow as fast as it should because it's not a rich economy and he is denying people a lot of other freedoms political freedoms freedom of speech many other freedoms many other options in life many other flexibilities that human beings take for granted in more developed modern economies and then his growth rate remains around 2 2.5% it's a matter of time before stresses begin to rise in his country as well and when when that happens how will he respond to it or what will other leaders in the communist party after all they also have ambitions right now because she is so powerful they've all swallowed hard and let him be and they all applaud when he speaks but i am sure deep down many of them are sharpening their knives so what will happen the world has to watch this aspect of china as well because politically diplomatically strategically china is the second engine of this two engine train if this world is a two engine train two engine ki gaadi right then china is the other engine america may be the stronger engine but china is also an engine and if china first of all slows down it loses power and second if its leader the driver or the driver of this engine also feels enfeebled and and others are trying to get in the driver seat then that has its own consequences and the third lesson is for india 
Of course, there is the immediate lesson. How will Xi Jinping now respond to the border, etc.? Is it he's recalibrating his policies on many things? Will he recalibrate his policies towards India as well? We don't know. So that is an important thing to watch. But the more important thing is the lesson. The lesson to learn from China is that just because you have a government which has a lot of power. Now, of course, India will never have a kind of dictator that China has had now for more than 70 years. That's an impossibility in India. Even Indira Gandhi during the emergency was not that kind of a dictator. She tried doing something, say, with Nasmandi or vasectomies, and you see the consequences, what happened after that. Soon enough, the Indian immune system struck back. So that is not the issue. But the point is, when you have strong governments with large majorities, then all kinds of demands rise. You have to be then careful and you have to have some humility and listen to others because it's only when you listen to others that you can avoid making the big mistakes and it's only a catastrophic blunder like that, an unthinking catastrophic blunder like that, that will break the momentum of an upwardly mobile, very aspirational and very well positioned India at this point of time.